Hi, welcome to the Revenue Lounge podcast. I'm your host Abhijit Vijay Vargeer, and I'm excited to take you on a journey where we unpack stories of the RevOps warriors around us and celebrate the various facets of this important go-to-market function we call revenue operations. Let's hear it from these revenue rock stars on how they are reimagining RevOps in creative and disruptive ways. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Revenue Lounge. RevOps now has a seat at the table. Even if you are a seed stage company, it's not too early to think about setting up a RevOps function. But how do you start? What is that first step to take and who even takes responsibility for this? Let's hear from someone who has been there and done that. On today's episode, we have Jen Pergrain, who is the head of revenue operations at Remotish, a HubSpot RevOps and WebOps agency. She was one of the first hires at Remotish and has set up processes and systems from scratch since then. We will hear her perspective on what her experience has been in like in starting a RevOps function at a startup, her learnings and advice for someone who is in a similar role. Hi Jen, welcome to the Revenue Lounge podcast and thanks so much for spending time with us today. Hello and thanks so much for having me here. We're very excited Jen. So my first question for you is tell us a little bit more about Remotish just give us a little bit background so that people on this podcast get to know you a bit better. Sure so Remotish is a HubSpot RevOps and WebOps agency that means we focus on technical work inside of HubSpot. My role is the senior operations manager so I manage the ops internally for an ops agency. I like to say it's a lot of ops. <laughs> My role involves developing training programs like employee onboarding, process development, improvement, documentation of it, maintaining and improving our company knowledge base that I made, financial work, billing and payments, reporting, our referral partner program, and systems and tools. It's a lot of things, obviously. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work. So I have a roadmap to help me figure out which areas to focus on throughout the year. Yeah, sounds like a Swiss army knife. I'm very excited to know more about about how you're doing that. But just wanted to go a little back in terms of your career transition and your story. I noticed that you were a graphic designer and an art director and then heading operations at Remotish. So, give us a bit more background about that interesting career transition. How how this all happened? Sure. So, this is always hard. I'm not sure really how many careers have I had so far. <laughs> a few. I do have a really giant LinkedIn article about this, but I'll try to keep this to a two-minute version so it's not our entire podcast episode here. So, I'm one of those people who wish they knew what operations was. Earlier in my career, like many people, I fell into it. So, my first career, as you mentioned, was print graphic design. I included a daily newspaper, a weekly magazine. It was really fast-paced high volume work with tight deadlines that were not movable because uh, it involved shipping to the printer and then physically mailing subscriptions, not like SaaS subscriptions, but actual mailing. So there were all those schedules to deal with. So the deadlines were very important. Um, all of that means it required a lot of project management, creating and using templates and other tech or tool efficiencies, uh, streamlining approval processes, a good communication, quick problem solving, looking back on it. It's a lot of ops for somebody with an art degree like myself, but I really thrived in those areas of the job, the getting things done on time, on budget. So I suppose that was career number one. Transitioning to number two while I was working at those design jobs, I was directing photo shoots 
and that gave me an interest in photography. Long story short, my second career was starting a photography art business that involved creating and documenting all the processes of a business because I was creating my own business. I was the only employee, so obviously it had to be efficient <laughs> because it's only me. But I really liked learning about business and marketing from that job, something I had previously avoided in my art school career. So uh, after about five years of starting that business, I closed it. I went back to school for an MBA to learn more because I love learning and I wanted to build more foundational knowledge about businesses at companies that are larger than one person, larger than mine. So I thought that third career would be marketing, but after grad school, I started working at my current agency, which is now called Remotish. It was their second month in business, so I ended up helping build the business. Looking back on it, it was uh, building the ops foundation of the agency through having a variety of client-facing job titles at first, and I was the first person in all those roles. And then eventually, about a year and a half ago, we split off operations into its own role, uh, giving me an operations title, all the ops are mine. <laughs> so I guess a common thread throughout these jobs was that ops mindset related to repeatable processes, efficiency, problem solving, uh, documentation, project management, all that being super curious. But uh, all those things I didn't know could be a career path all on their own until I started learning more about what operations is. I just thought they were good skills to have for anybody at any job, I mean, also true, but also its own path in operations. And that is the end of my giant story that I tried to make shorter. <laughs> oh, that's quite interesting. I think what stood out uh, for me is the focus around creating repeatable processes. Obviously, project management is a common thread across the work that you did. You're doing more in, in an operational setting. But I think the repeatable process part is very interesting because that makes things scalable. And that's where I think RevOps can add tremendous value. Which brings me a discussion around you joining Remotish where you mentioned you were one of the first few hires there. So what was it like coming into the company at that time? What were the processes like? as you were joining in and then what kind of a framework that was already in place and then you started like changing it. So just walk us through that journey of like creating a repeatable process there. Sure. So I came in originally as a contractor to do more marketing type of work to start with, like building ebooks and then marketing tech in HubSpot, the marketing hub to start with. I don't believe from what I can remember, it was a little while ago, <laughs> but I don't believe there were processes or framework or anything yet aside from how to build a marketing funnel because my CEO has an awesome process for that. That was one of the items that we sold and put into place for our clients. So I think there might've been a project task template for that, but the only people we had working at the time were the CEO, a developer, a marketing assistant, and me. That was our team. So my CEO and I built everything as we went along and we started doing all this work repeatedly. So we'd write it down and eventually hire and train someone else to do it. And as we hired those people, we showed them the benefits of writing it down, <laughs> writing down, documenting what you're doing, making improvements. So they didn't have to remember how to do things and they could more easily improve them. So I guess some of that first operational work was really starting the knowledge base of documenting the processes that either we commonly did or that we knew we should be doing. We used HubSpot's knowledge base to hold that since we're a HubSpot agency and we like to do as much as we can in HubSpot. Um, we also were using task list templates in our project management system to eliminate the guesswork and make uh, common processes or tasks for our clients, especially easily repeatable. 
And I will say that I am grateful to my CEO for letting me build the company alongside of her, even though that technically wasn't my role to start with, but that was something I was super interested in from uh, my background and my uh, recent schooling at the time. I think it's very interesting that you focus heavily on documentation, which basically is foundation to create repeatable processes or templates that to follow. But how does one go about keeping this documentation updated? I mean, there's a lot of power in written communication, but one big issue, especially in a remote setting and distributed workforce is how do we keep everybody on the same page? How do we keep all of this assets and documentation update, updated? So how did you guys go about like maintaining this documentation as you started scaling and you had more and more of documentation getting created every week? It's an excellent question. I actually had a big project at the, about the end of last year to go through this because we like double our team every year. <laughs> and as you mentioned, as you scale, um, the documentation gets I wouldn't say out of control, but harder to keep updated. For example, I don't, I wouldn't have all that knowledge anymore because I wasn't on the client services team anymore. So I created, I guess, a system it would be called of maintaining and updating the wiki is dividing the ownership of each category to different people. So it was not all one person responsible for keeping everything up to date. And I combined that with several different tasks that repeat every quarter to make sure uh, people go through their whole category and make sure everything's up to date every quarter. And we also have a really big culture of documentation. So we have a Slack channel for wikis, documents, and processes that is pretty active. At least I encourage everyone to keep it active. Like any changes you make, post it here so people know. Any new wikis, that's what we call the knowledge-based articles, <laughs> the documentation, please post it here. Anything you're looking for, just post a question and, and really educating people from day one since I also made the onboarding program. So educating people on how useful documentation is, how it's part of everyone's job, how it's allowed us to create this 30 hour work week program, really explaining all the benefits of keeping it up to date has been super helpful for actually making that happen, which I know can be a very big task. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I think a couple of things that I'm going to try at Nectar as well, especially the, the Slack channel for Wiki a knowledge base that sounds very interesting. I love the way how you delegated and divided the responsibility around maintaining different categories within that documentation so that the owners can specifically update their categories. How often do you do these audits in terms of whether the documentation centrally is updated? Is it like monthly, quarterly, annually? It's quarterly. Ideally, I know they're making the changes as real in real time, but sometimes you can't catch them all in real time. So that quarterly task is like a backup to making sure everything is up to date. Yeah, I also heard something very interesting while you were speaking, which was a 30 hour work week. Did I get, get it correct? I'm quite curious to know more about uh, what that means. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we have a reduced work program. As an agency, we have to log all of our time anyways, because time is attributed to clients. Also, we tied that into a benefit where if they meet the qualifications, which are earning all their HubSpot certifications and logging with the equivalent of 40 hours a week for three months in a row, then the team member is now into our reduced work program, which is the equivalent of working 30 hours a week. Uh, since we are flex time, those hours are monthly, so you can spread your time throughout the month and like take a vacation, but still meet your hours for the month, but it's still the math equals up to 30 hours per work week for your monthly total. And uh, we have found that to be a very attractive benefit. 
for hiring and retaining our team. It's very good for the, the work-life balance. Indeed it is and it's very creative. I mean congratulations for putting that kind of a program which is so employee friendly. Moving on to the next question, so like when you started focusing on operations and specifically like revenue operations, now when we have had like a guest on this show, they've spoken about different gaps that they see in their tech stack, processes, data, systems and whatnot, right? So when you go about solving these problems within your company or for your clients, how do you typically begin? Right, to do some sort of a gap analysis and then have an action plan to fix those or like you basically do something different. I'd love to understand your process on like you go about doing this. Sure, so the client side I'm not as involved in though at the moment, so I don't want to answer for that. But I can say for us how we started to decide like what processes are we going to improve first, what's going to make as big of an impact and we, from what I remember, again, a little time ago, but from what I remember, it was client onboarding, client offboarding, because every client went through that. I mean, ideally, the client would never offboard, but realistically, <laughs> they're going to. So making those processes efficient, but also valuable for us and valuable for client, we would improve it each time as we learned, you know, something went really well, something went wrong, we could have fixed either by adding a step into onboarding or offboarding. Um, so those processes now have many years of uh, iterative improvements behind them. And those are the ones I remember as also the, the projects I remember also as thinking of them as processes and not just individual tasks we were improving. Um, so those really stand out to me as a place to start. So what, what is the kind of tech stack that existed when you joined and how it has evolved over time as, as the company scaled? Oh, this is a great question. We actually, it might be surprising, but we have a very similar tech stack today because I believe in using a minimum amount of tools, but using them to their maximum potential. Instead of trying to buy like every shiny new tool and then having a hundred different tools you're trying to integrate, but you can't get them to integrate and then you can't trust your data. And then it's a mess for RevOps, which is usually when RevOps is actually created, and then they have to untangle all that mess. But <laughs> thankfully, I started at the beginning, so we didn't have to do that. For context here, we have between 15 and 20 people over the past year, and I think I mentioned before HubSpot Ops Agency. As a HubSpot Ops Agency, uh, we try to use HubSpot as much as possible. It has so many capabilities, we can use HubSpot for many different tools across our whole business, and I think we've like changed or up-leveled the subscription since we started, but we're still using HubSpot. Similarly, we're still using the same project management system. I think we may have you know, up-leveled, obviously we've added users, and the same Slack. We're still using the free Slack plan because I've created processes of, hey, if you're talking about a specific task, go store it in a project management system. If you're talking about something super important, go store it in a document because our free Slack plan doesn't store that. We use Google Suite. Across the whole company, I think we started with Microsoft, so that would be a change from our original state. And then our like our HR and accounting tools are still pretty similar then and now. Maybe the plan upgraded. We've added a few newer, smaller tools along the way that are used occasionally or by like one or two team members, but that core stack is what most of the team uses. It's actually pretty much the same since the beginning. We've really tried to maximize its use for our daily work. That's actually quite smart because a lot of folks out there have shared multiple times how 
having too many tools creates an, a data nightmare for the organization obviously disconnected systems would create disconnected people so it happens all the time so i think it's important to use a few tools but use them really well for the best potential i think that's that definitely a great advice especially for early stage startups i mean i think this episode is all about how do you implement revops for early stage so it becomes even more important because you don't have the bandwidth and resources to focus on maintaining so many different tools right so i think great advice out there for our listeners so just want to move towards like the core topic of today right which is setting up revops at a startup right so when do you think is the right time for a startup it's a seed series a series b a little later what do you reckon or if, if it's not the stage what's the maturity you would define for a startup to have in order to start a revops function My advice would be as soon as possible for us since we st- started working on all this since I want to say day 1 but very close to the day 1 we don't have as much tech debt documentation debt all kinds of things to untangle and fix it was more building than untangling and fixing no i think uh, just to focus on let's say a revops team of one right which is what probably you were when you started so what are the things that uh, a team like uh, this at a very early stage startup uh should do and should not do what are things that they should uh not ignore in those early days i think one of the most important things for a revops team of one in those early days is to get visibility and agreement or alignment everybody likes to say that's a good word alignment to what processes are currently happening on your revenue teams it's very important which does mean my favorite topic of documentation in order to make those things visible the main processes of each department like the sales process the handoff from marketing to sales what are the current main marketing activities what is the handoff from sales to service basically customer journey mapping in a way to make it visible for the whole company so everyone can see and agree that these are actually the processes we're going to follow and enforce and reward people who are following them correctly doing that i won't say exercise but project or work will also help this revops team of one start to build relationships with everyone across all the revenue teams because that will involve talking to people across the whole company since none of it will be documented yet you'll have to talk to people to actually get the information so starting by focusing on that customer experience the customer journey um, also helps make people across all the revenue teams aware that revops also focuses on the customers not just like a support team for the revenue teams that is the the first advice i would give for a revops team of one just starting out yeah very interesting so uh, i got curious on customer journey map i think you mentioned that uh, one important thing uh, a startup can do in the early days is to create this customer journey map so if you can just get throw a, a deeper light on that like what is a customer journey map how does it look like uh, how can a startup create one sure so A customer journey map would be showing all of the steps that your customer goes through in order to become a customer and hopefully stay a customer. So it would be how do they discover you? It would be all the the marketing work that occurs before they go into sales. There might be um as I mentioned the handoff from marketing to sales at some point and defining when does that happen, who is in charge of each client, making sure that's seamless so the information doesn't get lost um so no i'm trying to think of the right words so the client or customer doesn't have to repeat themselves every time they switch to a new team if they switch from marketing to sales to service all the information is easily available for each team so mapping out how each of those steps happen 
and ideally happen and then also capturing some real life examples of how else it could happen because it probably has a lot of like loops and circles and people go back to sales and they go back to marketing and they go back to sales and then they go to service and then maybe they buy something else. Uh, so there could be so many pathways to map out. Oh, that's a good uh, foundational point around customer journey map and I think there's a, there's a lot of value in creating one as you pointed out I think, and especially in the early days when this is very nascent and you have some green sprouts coming in across your marketing process, sales process and service process so it's good to document those. I think again documentation is a key word there and I think once you document here it also brings a lot of clarity I believe to the individuals across the GTM organization on what's going right, what's going wrong, what's the ideal customer experience that can come out through that customer journey map. So. I think it's very foundational and an important thing that you pointed out. So thanks for throwing light there. My next question is around the operating cadence. So because I think one is obviously creating this process, the documentation around it, like a customer journey map, for example, that we discussed. But what should be like an operating cadence, right, to like maintain some of these things? And how does one build this uh, as the company is scaling? So operating cadence, I have mostly seen discussed as what types of meetings happen and when they happen and who's in charge and what do you discuss. I have a few thoughts about this. I may not be the best person to ask because I've, a lot of what I have seen in research and in classes I've taken involves a lot of sales meetings that we only have one salesperson on our team, but I can share a few thoughts otherwise. <laughs> As you may have noticed by things I have mentioned, such as our reduced work program, we're an agency and we work a little differently than, say, a software company. And because I've pushed for transparent, asynchronous communication since my start working there, it, because I believe it keeps the company moving faster and no one has to wait for a meeting. I'm not a huge fan of meetings, so meetings aren't really the core of our communication, but you know, we do have some. And I would say a basic operating cadence is helpful just to ensure that cross-departmental communication is happening on a regular basis. So everyone knowing when to do that, company-wide meetings, everybody knows when they happen, what's on the agenda, who's gonna cover what topic. That's definitely helpful at the beginning to make sure everyone's aware of the main activities everybody else in the company is doing, all the changes. Ideally though, they would be able to look at the project management system that everyone in the company is using and see what's going on. But as companies get bigger and they start having those departmental meetings, I think that's where the problems can start if they are not careful to still communicate those decisions and information with the rest of the company. Information can get really stuck into silos. So that can be an issue to watch out for and to try to solve possibly with the operating cadence, but also with other forms of communication. So no one's duplicating work or relying on real-time meetings as the only form of communication, um, could, which could be a problem with also training new people. I think you made a very important point around async communication. I think that can be a game changer, especially in today's world, when people are working in a hybrid manner, they're all distributed, and they might even be working in different time zones, right? So how do you encourage that culture of async communication? Because the the logical human thing is to just pick phone and like get on a call with somebody or just do a quick meeting with, with the relevant folks and it's very easy to like waste all of that time and coming up on a call or do those meetings with or without an agenda. It happens all the time, right? It's a big productivity train. So definitely appreciate that this whole culture of like async communication. But how does one instill that within the organization? That's a great question and that is one of the 
topics we cover a lot in our onboarding program. So when people start working, we help them understand and get used to the asynchronous culture, such as I have tasks for them to specifically put your questions into certain channels. And it's a recurring task. I think it's daily for two weeks to just get used to that communication. And again, we have a documentation surprise about what to use each of the Slack channels for. And a lot of us are now um, doing it enough that we're all pretty good examples of not needing a meeting. Uh, similarly, knowing that if people are going to have a meeting, just get on the phone and have a call about something um, that they would need to document what happened on the call. So they might as well write it in Slack so it's easier to <laughs> copy and paste it where it needs to go. But there are definitely times when meetings are easier. But as long as the information is shared outside of the meeting, that is still that is still fine. That is still the way some people operate best. We've just put a systems in place to make it work. Uh, on what instances you've seen real-time meetings work better over async communication? I would say real-time meetings can work better in those specific company-wide meetings that we mentioned in the operating cadence just to make sure everyone is there if possible. I mean, we also record them. But uh, if we have any company announcements, that's usually a good place to have them or to at least open up discussion to something that was announced recently, give people time to think about it. And there are uh, people who think better out loud, so that can be better for a meeting to at least start off a project or task to get people on the same page and then go move to asynchronous communication from there. Yeah, I think those are some very interesting examples. And did you understand the power of real-time meetings in that context, especially I think when it's company-wide update or an important information to be shared, or it's like a, a monthly operating cadence where it can just energize the whole team around like a, one common goal or mission. So there's a value there in doing that. But yeah, async communication can be a, a big game changer if implemented well. But thanks for sharing some of these ideas around how does one instill that culture, especially from the early days. Uh, coming back to revenue operations and creating like a strong foundation or building blocks of sorts, right? So where does one get started in creating that RevOps foundation? Coincidentally, we just spoke about it. I would say transparency and transparent communication, including this active asynchronous communication across the whole company, along with the documentation so others can see and agree and approve on processes, changes, train people quickly and correctly, prevent people from reinventing the wheel. I think those are all solid ops foundations because if you don't have that active transparent communication across the whole company then none of the other building blocks may matter. I know there's a lot of talk about tech stack as a foundation but you can have the most perfect tech stack in the world but if you don't have communication you won't know. Well you won't. You'll probably know if you set it up but the other people won't know how to use it, changes to it, how it helps them, if a tool is really needed and so on. So for a foundation, I would suggest to solve for the, the people problems or prevent potential problems first, such as focusing on this transparent communication. Then you handle your process problems and then te handle tech as the last step in your foundational setup. Yeah, I think it also helps with adoption, right? Because one big issue that a lot of companies face and most of the time RevOps or, or sales enablement teams are largely worried about is adoption of the process, adoption of the tools that are being procured and implemented. So I think when 
when you did mention about creating this transparent culture of documentation, communication, setting the context, I think it definitely would also help with driving the adoption as well. Right? I think it's a great point that you made there. My last question in this first section of our conversation today is about like capturing your biggest learning. What's been your biggest learning in your career experience uh, while scaling operations in the startup? I would say you might be able to guess by now, but my biggest learning is the importance of documentation, which I guess I'll define my definition of documentation here would be uh, recording who, what, where, when, why, and how to do everything in your company or your role. And then also a key part of that is storing that information somewhere other people can find it and actually use it. It's not just secret. <laughs> it's not secret. So I would say first, it's uh, useful to document for yourself so you don't have to remember how to do something because you may just have invented it and learned how to do it that day. You're wearing so many hats, you're learning so many new different things every day. So documentation will help you do that thing a second time and a third time and then improve it each time. It'll save you a lot of time and it'll really make you great at your job. Um, after you've built up some of that documentation, you've uh, built for a while, then it will help you hire other people to take over this work that you figured out already which will then allow you to go build something else or promote to a new role. So that's super important if you're a team of one and you ever want to be more than a team of one, you want some relief from all that work you're doing. Uh, you'll want to be able to quickly and easily train people to take over that work and then be, they'll be able to answer their own questions and self-help with your documentation. So documentation is pretty much my answer to every question. <laughs> Yeah, and it sounds like you're also the chief documentation officer at your company. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely appreciate the point. I think it's important to hammer it down. I think uh, it's easier said than done, creating that whole culture of documentation. We should talk more about it. And, and it's also very important to do it smartly, right? Because while there's this urge for documenting anything and everything, it's also important on how you do it and for or what you do it, what, what purpose the documentation serves. So there were a lot more nuances there. Maybe I think some other time we would love to learn from you around how to go about that. But yeah, coming to the next phase of our conversation today, this is a rapid fire question. This is my, my favorite section for the podcast, helps us learn more about our guests. So yeah, the, the very first question for you is, what's your favorite book? Oh, I'm really terrible at choosing favorites because then my mind goes blank. I'm like, so many books. I really love reading. I can tell you maybe the most recent business book, also maybe relevant for this topic, is called Behind the Facade by Alicia Butler-Pierre. It's an operations book. Surprise. But I really recommend it. It's really helpful. Yeah. So what did you specifically like about the book? I liked it involved storytelling at the same time as explaining how and why to set up a whole all of the systems and processes in a business even for someone for example who was not in operations but they were just like starting their own business it would um it helps to explain all of those things they should put in place for success sounds a very relevant book that all of us should be reading i'm gonna check it out after this podcast my next question for you what's the favorite part about working in operations my favorite part in working in operations i think is helping others see the value in topics like project management, documentation, I'll say it again, <laughs> training and education, how these are valuable skills for someone's whole career, not just for ops. They can be helpful, like an ops mindset can help everyone succeed no matter what their role is. So that is something 
I probably my favorite part of working in ops. Yeah, no surprises there. Documentation it is. <laughs> What's the least favorite part about working in ops? I would say trying not to be seen as like a reactive task taker or fixer or tech support to make sure I reserve time to, for those strategic people and process and planning work, the higher level work that will be more valuable in the long term. Thankfully, I don't have a lot of that, but I've heard a lot about that from other ops people. Uh, I know I'm in the lucky position of you know having built my own role uh, from day one, um, but uh, I do see the struggle described a lot as the perception of ops as reactive task takers or support people. So that would probably be the least favorite part is that perception. Yeah, I mean, this keeps coming up in a lot of our conversations with RevOps community, which is how to grow from being tactical task takers to take decision makers. I think it's very important to do that journey. And I think what is probably unfolding in front of us is we are ushering in the era of revenue operations, right? I think it's very important to have that mindset and drive the journey from being tactical to being strategic and getting that seat at the table in the go-to-market team. I hear you there. I think it's, it's something which a lot of folks do struggle with. A any specific advice there like while we are on the topic on w what should the upcoming revenue operations folks do uh, to, to contribute more strategically and, and move a little bit away from just being day-to-day -day task managers? Aside from documentation, <laughs> I would say Building relationships with all the people across the revenue team, the leaders, you will need their input anyways to understand the processes that are involved in your role, to understand the context of why you're doing what you're doing. So I think first building those relationships and that will help prove that, uh, I wouldn't say that you're worthy of a seat at the table, but that will help you get into those conversations more easily. So who, who is one uh, RevOps leader you personally look up to and why? Since we were discussing this, uh, strategic versus tactical and getting out of the tactical work. One person who discusses that a lot is uh, Rosalind Santa Elena. She's very dedicated to elevating operations. She spent, I don't know, thousands, maybe millions of hours sharing her knowledge on classes and events, LinkedIn. She's very generous with her knowledge uh, to help elevate operations people. Yeah, I think she's the crowd favorite. We keep hearing her name most of the time in our podcast and she's been there on the podcast as well. So it was a delight chatting with her. Yeah, moving on to the next question. What's one advice you received from someone that has stayed with you and you'd like to share the, the same with us? Sure. Some advice would be from Alison Elworthy. She's the VP of RevOps at HubSpot and she said there's a saying at HubSpot called um, alignment eat strategy for breakfast. So misalignment across your teams can cause friction and can throw off even the best strategies or tactics and get in the way of delivering a great customer experience. And this was when she was answering a question about project management. And so she said project management strategies and tools can help streamline and work and improve this alignment. And um, I just thought that was a, a memorable saying is Alignment eat strategy for breakfast, that's a great way to kind of sum it up. Yeah, definitely very powerful. Alignment eat strategy for breakfast and, and I do understand what poor alignment or lack of collaboration can do to a great strategy. So definitely very powerful advice there. Coming to the last question, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to give to people for starting their career in revenue operations? So the one piece of advice I would give is to learn as much as you can about common problems and solutions across all departments and 
all areas of the business that will really help your knowledge of tying everything together, seeing the process from the beginning to the end, knowing how all the different pieces in the different departments tie together. This could involve having different roles in different departments first, or it could involve talking to people. It could involve becoming an active member of different groups, different networking groups that cover all of the topics of business. And then if I could sneak in one more, <laughs> I would say learn about change management. You will need it for every part of your job. Even if you're building something new, that is a change from what existed before, which was nothing. So change management, it's been a super helpful topic to learn about for me. Yeah, that's my takeaway from today. Get better at written communication. Jen, it was lovely having you today on the show. Thanks for sharing some valuable insights today for our listeners. It was lovely talking to you. And thank you once again. Have a good day ahead. Thank you so much.